Hello and welcome to another episode of Mere Fidelity. Uh, I'm Andrew Wilson and I'm joined by my three merry men, or rather I am now their merry men because they've allowed me back on the show. Matt Anderson's here and Alex Roberts and Rick Trowie. And we are going to have a conversation today, believe it or not, about the election, which we felt would be a useful, profitable thing to talk about from a number of perspectives, but just to see how people were feeling initially. And, uh, and I've probably got to go first on this because it was something that made me uh, fall. I, I stood there in my kitchen open mouthed for about a minute and a half when I discovered it. It was literally an open mouth thing, not metaphorically. Um, my dad <laughs> looked across the table at me and said, Are you, have you seen what's happened? And I, I didn't want to face it. And I opened the iPad and then saw what had happened. I'd slept so well because I was convinced it wasn't going to happen. So I was flabbergasted, really surprised. And I had also gone on record and said, there is no way this will happen. And polls are right. And I, so basically, <laughs> I've never done that three times in the last 18 months. I did it with the Conservatives winning the last election. I did it with Brexit. And now I've done it with Trump. So I'm just going to give up ever making any predictions about anything again. No. So, Andrew, you, you could be so that... You could be that guy that there's a news story about. This man has predicted the election wrong every time for the I last know. forty I, years. I think I'm like you the, could be an well, institution. I would have been the anti Nate Silver until he got it wrong as well. Because I just I, I my and I said even after Brexit, I said my the only thing I can be sure of is that my social media feed will be wrong about everything. So and I I think it just made. In fact, I could get it started with this. I, one of the things, this sounds like a joke, but one of the things that I realized as a result of the election was that although I am very conservative on life and marriage, I still live in a lefty bubble from the point of view of the people I know and the people, at least from a British perspective and a global perspective even. I, it's just so weird to feel like somebody like a church pastor, very theologically conservative, I think, uh, finds himself in a sort of globalist elite lefty bubble rather than with the grassroots, you know, good old conservatives. So I think one of the things I realized was just, wow, I, I have an even smaller echo chamber than I thought. I'm, I'm not much- sure that many of our listeners realize this, but we actually recorded an episode before Brexit on the day that the yeah, vote yeah. was taking oh, place. Oh, no, we never showed it, did we? And we entirely yeah. predicted that it was going to go for Remain. And then, of course, it didn't. And we never aired that episode. <laughs> and I felt really bad because Matt Hosier had taken a, an hour out of his day to do it. And he, that was the only time he was ever going to be on the show. And he, <laughs> he never was. But, but at least there was safety in numbers then because I thought I then realized, yes, I am in a bubble. But I think with Trump, it, it just took the bubble to, to new levels. I realized this is just a tiny little soap sud of a bubble that I live in. Um, whereas I had thought it was more of a beach ball. Um, and I just, I guess I just can't, I just could not believe that everybody I knew was so out of touch with what was really going on. So that, and that, that's an obvious reaction that probably many shared, but that was certainly my first reaction. Anybody else? Fells? Certainly anybody else. Stop, stop, stop going weird and just freezing and going, is anybody else? I mean, that wasn't insightful. Just what did you think, Derek? Or what did you think, Alistair? What's the. I, well, I, I just, I, I think. I mean, I was shocked too. My wife and I were sitting there watching it and um, I had just been thinking like, I wasn't happy either way. I think we've talked about this. There was, there was no way I was going to like any election outcome, but I was fairly sure. But, you know, President-elect Clinton is what we're going to get just because what, (laughs) how, you know? Um, So we were, we were just kind of seeing the thing go. And I just think this is getting real. This is, this is getting weird. 
I don't, I don't even know that it just felt like a, like a doppelganger. That's not even the right word. Just like a bizarro world where, where that's happening, but it's 2016. So I mean, I, I guess I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have uh, banked on anything remaining normal. So, I mean, it was one of those weird things where you, you, you know, they, they had that, they had that write up, uh, Christianity had that write up of, of, uh, like, I don't know, 18, 17 pastors who reacted to the election, how they're feeling in different ways. And I mean, I, I, I kind of identified with, I identified with a bunch of them, even though they were across the spectrum, right? You know, you, you've got this weird sense of, of just, what the heck is going to happen now? Like there, what I don't, there's no, in a sense, it, it feels unprecedented. Um, there's all the negative things that we can all think of that, um, we're all probably still worried about with this presidency. And then there's that, there's that kind of creeping sense of relief in a, in other ways. Um, because I really did think there was going to be negative, uh, consequences in either way. Uh, and so, um, just that weird sense of like, well, okay. So maybe, maybe SCOTUS, maybe not. I don't know. Um, maybe some, maybe some of the religious liberty issues, maybe not. Um, and so you just kind of have that, that, that just mixed feeling all the way through, um, along with the shock, you know, you'd, I, I'd prepared for one bad outcome and I thought, okay, I've got a strategy for the next four years in my head. Um, and I, I've made peace with that, but this, this one, it just, I had to recalibrate and think, okay, well, that's just going to be a different, it's going to be a different thing. So that was some of the initial reactions. Um, and then after the fact, I think it's just been interesting how the immediate, um, the immediate blame shifting happened or blame game, uh, what started to go down online as exit polls started to come out and the recriminations. I don't know. I, I, I don't know how many articles I saw. There's about 15 different articles identifying 15 different subgroups for like, well, this population, if they had voted X way, you know, that two to 3%, man, that really swung it. But, you know, there's with 15 sub subcategories of two to 3% going either way. It's in a way of saying like, well, anything could have swung it. So it, it but it was in, in the way it functioned online was, there's almost nobody that didn't get an article um, blaming them like just vigorously uh, for, for the um, you know, the, the, the event that occurred. And so that was, that was, I think the thing that I, I noticed immediately online in terms of repercussions um, just on the It was Christmas for the hot take industry. (laughs) Oh yeah, the hot takes just they they came fast and furious and and hotter and takeier than ever, um, and so that was that was a it was an ugly couple of days to be online. Um, and I say that as someone who's but certainly yeah. gave a few of his own. Yours aren't so hot. You're like <laughs> more like long and <laughs> slow. Yeah, they're they're well. No, they're. they're they're in, they have hot moments, <laughs> but I feel like those are more incisive, but they're more like, what's, what's, what's a long word for take their acquisitions. I don't know. I mean, just that's what they are there. So anyways, I'm going to stop here, Matt, Alistair. 
I was a lot less surprised this time around. I was completely dumbfounded by Brexit. I was not expecting that. But I was braced for this. Um, I was already half expecting a Trump win. So it wasn't quite... So unlike Andrew, you learned your lesson? (laughs) Well, yes, I suppose... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I shared the same experiences. I shared the same experiences him with Brexit, but then I found a number of people who were warning about Brexit and things like that beforehand about the extreme likelihood of it happening. I started to pay a lot more attention to the bubble that I had and tried to assess um, the people that I was listening to and thinking. Who would it be better to listen to? What sort of people predict these sorts of events? And what are the conditions that enable people to see patterns that others miss? Um, And so I was less surprised this time because I, beforehand, I'd received a lot of um, exposure to people and material that was saying this is a distinct possibility and this is why. Hmm. For many of the same reasons as Brexit, actually. Um, oh, sorry. It's not a an unrelated phenomenon. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I don't... Uh, I mean, I think I'd be lying if I said I wasn't a little surprised. I think like Alistair, I wasn't totally shocked by it. Um I was surprised by my own internal reactions. I think the sense of relief that Derek mentioned at not uh, uh, having Hillary Clinton as our president was was actually there, and I wasn't expecting that. Um, but the the sense of the absurd uh, was really strong upon me, and so I I, I found myself even election night just sort of laughing at the whole parody that has become American political life. Um, uh, because it's really, in a, it was, it was the most absurd moment in our politics that I can remember in my lifetime. Um, and, and absurd in a way that like Kafka couldn't draw it up. Um, and I, and I, and I found that, uh, somewhat comical while recognizing that there were a lot of people in part because I was spending time with one of them who were deeply, deeply distraught about the election results. And so I've been sort of working through that sense of like laughter and levity at the moment that we've had and the genuine fears and concerns that um, someone like Jamar Tisby at Reformed African American Network has been articulating uh, over the last couple of weeks really well. Um, the sort of concerns that people of colors and, and, and minorities have about a Trump administration. Um, and what I think I've come around to is um, I'm, I, I think I've become really acclimatized to, to losing. Um, and to losing in the biggest and most grand of ways. So on an issue that I had written extensively about gay marriage, um, a couple of years ago, I mean, when Obergefell went through, it was like, well, here's yeah. a grand loss that I now have to incorporate into my understanding of the world and my place in it and my vocation. Um, and, you know, and similarly with Trump, right? Like, 
I wrote an article at Vox saying there is no pro-life case for Donald Trump. Um, and now and I wrote <laughs> the Huffington Post on the day of the election saying that people trying to persuade people against voting for him. So, yeah, yeah, that's right. And, and, and now, you know, um, he's and our, here is some absurdity yeah, in this he, year. He, he's our president. Ooh. He's going to be our president. And we're going to test. We're going to find out whether or not the predictive case that I made was right um, uh, or whether or not the predictive case of those who voted for Trump because of the court and other reasons was right. And that's fine. Like, I, I will be delighted in four or eight years to look back upon the effects of a Trump presidency and say that I was wrong. But we have to account for the, the, the um, if, if we get if pro-lifers get the Supreme Court justices that they're hoping for, I think we're going to have to account for the growing, the, the, the collateral damage to the movement on issues of race that um, are all, already being pushed to the forefront of the narrative. Um, yeah, I mean, that that right there, I think the thing that grieved me, one of the things that grieved me was... Um, um, you know, this thing getting, you know, the, 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 the stat that's been thrown out a lot is the 81% of white evangelicals who voted for Trump. Uh, and you know, you can, you can play with the math a lot and realize, okay, 81% of evangelicals who voted 81% of people who call themselves evangelicals who, you know, that could be anybody who's been to Sunday school once and lives in the South and just is knee jerk, you know, conservative quote evangelical you can play with the math all you want and realize okay the numbers it maybe aren't that stark but that's the big narrative and then and the way that has ramifications on on uh, conversations about race in the church conversations about uh, you know evangelical witness in the world on certain issues um not to mention i i will say i i, I myself am a bit nervous like i'm I'm not white. I'm, I'm Arab and Hispanic and, and, um, you know, I've seen some of the videos with the, the guys yelling out of the car at the, at the Arabs on the street saying Trump's president, um, your, your time's up. Like, you know, I live on a seminary campus. So, so thankfully that's, it's not the attitude of the people, my neighbors, but, um, you know, th th there is something unnerving about, some of the element that's emboldened at this time. Um, but the thing that has concerned me most has the ramifications down the road for the church, just because despite the fact of, of this win and what it means that, okay, you know what, rural America and middle America, they're, they're not as quiet. They're not going to kind of like lie down and take it culturally. Um, as people have thought, the culture still is moving, I think, in a lot of ways, you know, center left or left. And I, I, I don't, this, this election was not like a, like a mandate for Trump. Just if you look at the numbers and you look at how it went down, it was a strong electoral election, electoral college one, but the popular vote wasn't there for him and, and stuff. And so there's this level where like, this is going to have weird and 
damaging repercussions down the road for 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 witness and and for for the for for the church and in a lot of growing populations that um I just, I just worry about a lot. This isn't just down the road. I mean, it's already going to have its repercussions. Because, right now. I mean, one of the things I wrote about recently is the relationship between breakdown of trust and crises of truth. That when there's a breakdown of trust, um, the authorities that people once turned to and gave them security and direction, when there's a trust breakdown between those groups, cr- truth starts to be thrown up into the air and you don't know where it will land. And on these particular, um, in the aftermath of Trump's election, I think what we're going to see is when people realise just how many evangelicals voted for him, how many prominent evangelicals came out in support for him at various points, the causes with which these evangelicals are associated will be deeply tarnished in the minds of people who feel betrayed by their leaders, particularly people of colour and women. And I think there's going to be a scattering of large numbers of evangelicals to um, anti-evangelical, post-evangelical, whatever movements, because they do not trust their leaders anymore. They've lost moral credibility. And I think that is one of the things that I was most warning about before the election. And I think it's the thing that especially worries me right now at the same time um the 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 sort of people that are evangelicals who endorsed trump and supported him um i don't think that any of it like it's not obvious to me that uh the sort of mainstream evangelicalism's relationship to those people changed in this election. What happened in this election is very similar to what happened in 2012 and 2008 and 2004. Um, it's a very similar narrative. And, you know, the, the, the fact that you had, um, a, f- a, a few people who were a little more prominent than in past times, like, like Dr. Russell Moore, um, opposing Trump, um, you know that none of that translates into a social movement per se. Um, you know, those are the problem those are, is yeah. that the narrative and the perception are huge. It makes yeah, such but, a difference. But but the narrative and the perception have been, like all I'm saying is that um, those narratives and those perceptions have been there for a long time, and this sort of yep. reconfirmed them. In fact, um, if anything, this has the effect of reconfirming them because. Um, the same narrative was told prior to the election as has been told prior to yeah. every election I can remember, namely that the religious right wasn't going to have as much influence anymore, uh, that the size of the evangelical voting bloc was shrinking. Um, and so like, and that was the narrative coming into election day. Um, and you know, once again, <laughs> once again, uh, we're looking on the uh, looking retrospectively and realizing that that narrative was false. But I do think also you're, you're you're absolutely right that the consequences for evangelicals are coming immediately. There's a, a phenomenon where um, the, the reasons that various constituencies had for voting for Trump are going to get lost and uh, imported onto each other. So, you know, the, 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 yeah. the religious right votes for Trump on the basis of the court 
predominantly. Uh, the alt-right votes for Trump on the basis of, you know, racial issues, say, right? And um, uh, what's, what's going to happen is that those two groups are not going to be distinguished in terms of their reasons. And the religious right is going to be made to carry the alt-right's water. And so I've already seen this phenomenon where um, with, with the various appointments that have been made by, by Trump, um, some of whom have been very, very controversial. I think one of whom uh, very legitimately is, is a terrible choice um, for racial reasons. Um, the, there's, but there's this phenomenon where um, uh, people are pressing evangelical leaders to um, constantly denounce. Do you denounce the alt-right in all their ways? I denounce them, right? Like, do you, do you denounce all these things? And that's not going to be sufficient at the end of the, at the end of four or eight years. I, I really do think that, um, the religious right is going to be, um, have, have been tied together with the alt-right. Um, and they will be powerless to resist that because as much as they, as much as influences they have, they, they are terrible at controlling the media narrative about themselves. Let, let me ask a question here because this speaks to like legitimate voting responsibility. Um, in terms of, in terms of what you're responsible for, there was a, there was a discussion online a, a lot about this, whether there's a, the, a consistency issue. Um, and Caitlin, Caitlin B raised this issue that, um, for years, evangelicals have kind of made it made the either explicitly or tacitly made the case that if you vote Democrat, um, you have to own all of their abortion policies, and you have to be responsible for the fact that um, you know the, the slaughter of the unborn and so on and so forth. Um, and so, for you to vote that way, you you, you got to be prepared to own that, and and it's all on your hands and it's all on your head. But the flip side is now um, the question is whether or not uh, you know somebody who voted for Trump, and, and I think it's very important to, to, to just for the listeners. You know, I think all of us would probably operate with a, with a distinction between when we're talking about evangelical leaders who supported Trump early on versus just you know the average Republican voter who was like hostage to who got nominated and voted because they were worried about scripts right. or whatever it is. Um, they're still. The question is, are they still responsible? Do they have to own all of the, um, the, 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 the policies that come down the pipeline that may have, um, that may be, you know, harsh towards people of color, harsh towards uh, women, harsh towards whatever it is, or, or just even the general climate that is created and emboldened by that. Um, and, and if, if so, what active responsibility do they have towards combating that this sense of like, okay, I voted cause I, I made a judgment that this was the scarier, you know, both had negative externalities, but this is the one I was going to risk in which case I, I have to be ready to step up on, 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 on the, on the negative repercussions that I, I opted for. Like how much of that is fair? How much of like, just in terms of voting in general, um, I mean, how, how much do you think is is there when we're talking in, in about regard? when we're talking about the alt right? I think it's important to remember just how small the movement is, and um, the fact that 
Trump himself has recently disavowed their support. Um, this is there's not an equivalence between that sort of movement and um, the support for abortion rights on the part of the Democratic Party. There's just not an equivalence at all. And yet the media, I think, will focus so much attention upon that particular group, in part because it serves the purpose of um, having the that reputation of being racist um, stick to Republican voters and Trump supporters. And I think we need to be aware of that because there is an attempt to put a burden of guilt upon people that is not justified um, in many cases. Well, let me ask. Now, let me I think sharpen on it. the other hand, there is... Before you go on. Go on. Just one thing. The, the, I, I, I think we're going to agree that not, not everybody who's, who casts that vote, et cetera, is, is racist in, a, in an explicit way or, 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 or isn't committed to these things. But there's that level of the argument of, okay, they're not... They don't have hatred. They don't have, but they just didn't care enough. Like they were racially, you know, they, they did not care enough about those issues um, to vote against them. So the the vote is a tacit, like I'm going to risk, I'm going to risk it. I'm going to risk, you know, their lives um, and that that kind of thing. So even even. Let's 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 just tamp down the the charge from racist to like just not caring about people of color. Um, at that point, my question is, what's the responsibility level? So, anyways, sorry, that's my sharpen it. Go go for it, Alistair. Yes, I think. I mean, I argued before the election, and I still hold now that we we need to take responsibility for the atmosphere that is created. Um, that we allow ourselves, we, if we stand by and do not challenge the sort of racist movements and groups and persons that have surrounded Trump in various quarters, we are complicit because we can't just be bystanders. We have to be vocal in standing against these things. And the sense that people would sell out, um, persons of colour who are their brothers and sisters in Christ even just for the sake of security on certain issues is it's a very serious perception to I mean I can understand why people have that perception and it's incredibly concerning if there were more conspicuous mourning around supporters of people who actually went out and voted for Trump um, saying we really do not want to make this choice but yet we had to make it, this is why we had to do it. Um, and a sense of solidarity with people who really feel wounded by that, it might be easier. Um, but in many cases, I think that's not been the impression that I've received. So, yeah, I think there is there is a genuine concern there, and I, I share it. Um, on the other hand, I think people... Evangelicals have often felt backed into a corner on in the culture war. You're being forced to... I mean, you're being forced out of public life. What do you do? If you stand for yourself, you're told you're being racist because you're not taking other people's concerns on board. So I can understand the, the deep sense of 
tension and being torn in different ways that people experience. And I don't want to judge um, people's motives in these situations. I just think it's incredibly important that we express um, a concern for and solidarity with people who feel abandoned as a res- or betrayed as a result of this, because I can definitely understand why they would. Right. Yep. Did it, can I ask something, just change, changing tack very slightly, uh, something that I felt, being a bit bit honest in front of lots of people I don't know, as well as the three of you, but I, I had this weird, um, slightly you know, bipolar reaction, really, which I wondered if anybody else shared that a sort of a sense of horror, and I cannot believe this has happened again in earlier, had settled in about a day or two later to a, a kind of schadenfreude that I didn't like in myself, but I was kind of pleased that the, whatever the equivalent would be, I guess the American equivalent would be the New York Times people were, were sort of, had been given a kick in the pants and that there was a, the, I, I was almost quite, I didn't like this side of me, but I was quite enjoying that there was this frantic kind of goodness. How on earth did this happen? Is this our fault? Is this Obama's fault? Is this Hillary's fault? All the democratic democratic party's done this. And, um, because, because, and I think what I was latching onto, and it may be a, a dark side of some of the things Matt said earlier about sort of seeing the you know blowback on issues like religious liberty and abortion things, saying actually mm-hmm. it was a little bit of you know my enemy's enemy is my friend thing that came in. I didn't really like that side of myself, but I was also was aware that at times I was I was reading articles explaining you know a, a lot of liberal hand wringing, and generally on the issues in the at stake in the election, I would be a liberal. And I began this is appalling, particularly on the issue. I mean, mainly on the issue of race, but in the issue of just general being a human, um, was just appalled. And yet, found that a lot of the people who were also finding it appalling, I was kind of, I don't know how to put it. I, I, I sort of felt a little, probably a bit of internal smugness that some of the people who I really hoped would come unstuck had come unstuck. And obviously, what you want is an answer that means I want to be able to vote for somebody who shares my views on both race and life at the same time. And I, and they're, you know, and obviously I'm an American, so I can, but that that's what I want. But given that I'm, I've been offended by some things, I was actually almost quite pleased that some other people have been offended by a whole lot of other things. And then I had to sort of try and speak to myself and say, no, 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 this is, that's, that's not a, a good way to react. But I, I just wondered whether or not any of that kind of oscillating ambiguity set in with any, yeah. of, any of the rest of you. Yeah, I certainly found that. Sometimes. Yeah, no, that, that, that. Sorry. Yeah, I certainly experienced the same thing. But I think one a remark someone made that I found very helpful on the subject is there is a place for a delight in seeing the enemies of God's people um, come a cropper. On the other hand, there's a danger that that sense of delight comes from an underlying sense of fear um, at what would have happened when they won. Um, rather than a trust in God and delight in his power shown in the affairs of men. Um, and I thought that was an important point to bear in mind. Well, I think what's what's been interesting, and this is something that uh, Alistair, for those of you who don't know, Alistair has been writing a short book on the election on his blog. Multiple chapters have gone up at this point. Um analyzing what has I'm not I'm not being facetious. This is it's <laughs> book length. Um but at some of the disruption that's been going on just in terms of the like chattering class, the, the, the analyst class, and especially um, even among uh, certain progressives uh, and just about 
why why they got their analysis wrong, um, and just analyzing the voters, analyzing themselves, analyzing their own rhetorical strategies uh, in terms of just lumping everybody under the category of of racist or ignorant or whatever it is. And so there's 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 times when you start to realize sometimes you'll you'll be horrified at at, at certain things together, but you realize that some of your reasons are very different. And so there's that level where we, we, you, you might even, you might agree that X is a bad thing and you both don't want it to happen, but you agree that for different reasons for, and for different underlying assumptions. And so when you see somebody, you're like, okay, that you're both not pleased with, in a sense with what happened. But when you, you realize it when it's unsettling some of those assumptions that you don't share, I think that's also part of what's been what's been um, interesting to see and and uh, possibly positive here. Um, I just think this has been one of those weird places where where it's been some somebody compare this to an apocalyptic event, you know, where it's it's an unveiling. Um, I mean, and who knows if you if you have a if you have a if you have an end times timeline, this might have fit right in. But but in terms of like the biblical notion of a need to take raptureready.com of a, po- of a po- <laughs> yeah, actually, I was I was I saw some news this some news story. There was a there was a there was a group of, of rabbis that were were very pleased with the election because they thought that now this this fit in with um, the their ability to build the temple and uh, bring in uh, the coming of Messiah. And so that was, I mean, I, I thought, oh, wow, they have Hal Lindsey too. set up for um, disappointment. But, yeah, yeah. But, but it, the, this apocalypse in the other sense of unveiling, it's been kind of like a, a, just a different light cast on a lot of the political realities and just upending things and unsettling things and, um, you know, for better and worse uh, across the board. Right, this is not a it's not a, a neutral event, and so that I think has been one of the most I don't know just interesting things to watch, kind of unfold online. Um, Matt, you've been silent for a while. What's what's going on in that Andersonian mind of yours? Yeah, I mean, a, a lot. I, 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 I partly I continue to think about the the previous subject, so. Um, you know, to, to pivot backwards for a second, um, it really strikes me that the, there, there, there are several dangers for those who are dismayed, uh, by these results. And this sounds really ridiculous coming from me because, uh, I'm a white male and so I have no you know, middle-class white male. And so I have no claim to feel threatened by this administration necessarily, um, other than sort of general reasons of instability around the world. And that, that would affect us all, um, equally, I would think, but, um, you know, having, again, I just going back to my own reflections over the last couple of years about gay marriage and that social transformation, having really lost, having really, really lost on that, you know, I have spent a lot of time thinking about some of the, the ways in which we respond to these sorts of tumultuous moments. And 
um, it strikes me that there's there's a serious danger of overreaction um, to the kind of threat that Donald Trump poses on even racial issues with some of his appointments. Um, I, I think what Alistair said a long time ago about the atmosphere and our responsibility for the atmosphere is exactly right. On the other hand, um, it's an atmosphere is not a very concrete thing. Um, and I worry that the uh, constant demand to oppose and denounce right now will exhaust us all such that when a concrete policy comes to the fore, um, we'll be, we'll be, we'll be worn out from it. Um, and that's particularly the case, but my worry is particularly acute if the opposition is uh, right now and over the next four years is not accentuated by a, a a kind of levity, a kind of glad hopefulness in the face of real suffering. And again, this is why I say it's a ridiculous thing for me to say. Um, uh, but, you know, that's been my line for social conservatives on gay marriage for three, three years, longer, five years, um, that there has to be a sense of hopeful gladness uh, in the face of having lost very badly and being genuinely, I think, and have argued, threatened in terms of the integrity of their institutions from that loss. Um, uh, so I don't think it's entirely disconnected from what uh, my friends who are very progressive or um, people of color or minorities are feeling. Um, and I and I and I just somehow I want my own opposition to whatever happens in the next four years to be suffused with um, a, a, a sense of sort of uh, perspective, I guess, um, that these things are not ultimate. And um, the kind of despair, the kind of dismay uh, that I see a lot of my friends feeling and that I felt after Obergefell is indicative of the kind of attachment to, um, these systems and these structures and this, this belief and, and, and signifies, I think our belief that they are ultimate, um, that they are sort of the things on which our lives go well or badly. Um, and I don't know how, how we overcome that or untether ourselves from that perception, but, uh, it strikes me that it, that it needs to happen. Um, on the perspective issue, I think, yeah, a lot of that's going to come with, yeah, who you are and what types of dangers you're particularly worried about. Um, I, I know when you're, when you're worried that he's going to put in a, a policy that, uh, you know, and this is at the outside round up your neighbors versus like round up you and your mom. Um, there's a different level of sure. desperation and different that's, level of, that's, of, that, yeah, that's exactly but, right. But I will say, uh, and, I, and you already caveat, you already caveated. It's ridiculous for me to say that kind of thing. But what I will say is that your point, um, your point about the level of denouncing early and often and about everything, um, and the exhaustion that can come with that, that's important because, I mean, I, I can't remember 
I, what, two or three days in, the most absurd non-story emerged. Uh, Trump ditched his press. Trump ditched his uh, his um, yeah his press pool. You know, group of, of press his press pool press handlers to go eat at a steakhouse with his family. And this and this this article goes up. And these articles go new level of secrecy in the in the in the Trump administration signal. Like, okay, there are probably a million signs of a new level of like non transparency that you're going to be able to pick up on, right? But going, you know, ditching somebody, ditching the press pool to go eat a steak is not one of them, right? Or if it is, it's it's the least important one. And so the the freaking out over non stories or even in an in a different election cycle would have been serious stories, but in this one they're they're relatively small. I mean, it's like um, the, con- the controversy it, it, over Hamilton eclipsing the scandals of um, of other instances that, for instance, the Trump University and um, the intertwining yeah. of business and political right. interests. That's exactly right. I mean, those those story, those things happened at so, the exact same time, right? Like um, Trump, Trump practically manufactured the Hamilton controversy to overwhelm our perception of the uh, his settling of the Trump University case. So we heard nothing about the Trump University case and heard tons about Hamilton. And he's 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 really good at that. That's what he has done now for a good year and a half uh, politically. I and think so we're that, really that suffering kind of thing from the where fact, we're suffering from the fact that the media has so catastrophized many different things. It's been crying wolf for so long. People stop paying attention. And also the fact that controversies and little personality issues get lots of traction online within the media bubble we all exist in. But in the actual world, they have very little traction. Um, and if we can learn something from the way that Italy, there's an article on this recently that I found helpful, if we can learn anything from the way that Italy opposed um, Berlusconi, who's a very similar sort of character, um, they succeeded by opposing him as a regular candidate. Stop focusing on the personality issues and start, have a laser focus upon the policy, upon the the actual political behaviour. And that's what matters. Right. And the more that we treat it as a sort of media circus and all these different crazy things, the more you will normalise that sort of behaviour. People will just become inured to it over, over time. But you need to and focus upon the one, specifics. One, uh, one thing that I think, and we're probably going to have to wrap it up here. One thing I think is important, though, is to um, just realise that in all of this, Yes, there's advocacy. Yes, there's there's um, concern, but uh, there's there's also just a call to, to basic uh, neighborliness and prayer. Yeah. Um, I think I think that you know the pol- just the weirdness of national politics, uh, and this is something I've picked up from from these conversations. Really ought to drive us towards um, the, the the politics of of neighborliness, the politics of the local uh, that. That, you know, looking after our neighbors, looking after the people up the street, looking after our local communities and being involved in that way, that's going to be massive for our witness going forward uh, as Christians. 
Um, you know, they might think, okay, you know, if people hear 81% this voting that, but they know that the church up the street is just a, a serious advocate for, for justice, a serious, um, provider of, of care and, and, um, a local community reconciliation, the local, the local is so important for, for outweighing some of the, some of the, some of the overwhelming, uh, perception of the of the national, and beyond that, I think the prayer element is is so huge. Christians, um, we have no excuse not to be praying for our leaders. It is commanded in Scripture. We should in every administration. We should in every administration, but um, it is commanded by Scripture, and and there is story after story in Scripture of God working in all times. And this is not is not you know for those who are thinking, okay, you're spiritualizing you shouldn't have hope in this guy, et cetera, et cetera. I don't have hope in this guy. Uh, but God is the God who can, you know, turn the heart of the King. Like he turns, you know, water in the stream. He, he can do, do works. He can change. He can transform. He can restrain. And Christians should be praying for all levels uh, of our politics, you know, local, national, state, Congress, cabinet, every, every appointment that worries you pray, uh, pray for, pray against, pray both at the same time, but, um, be on your knees for just for the sake of your neighbors, right? This is not about national idolatry, right? We're not, we're not Americanists. Um, but it is about loving your neighbor and it is about, about seeking the good of the church and the glory of God in the church in our nation as best we can. And so, um, I, I just think it is, is so important for, for, for Christians to, to, to take all of this, however you feel about it, whether you related, whether you relieved, whether you were crushed as a call, um, to pray, uh, in, in all things for, for all things. And so, um, that's, that's the, that's my little closing two cents. I think that's Fellas, exactly right. Um, something that has increasingly struck me reading through the New Testament and the Old Testament, just as from a political perspective, is just how prominent the call to pray for the good and the justice of our rulers and nations is. It's prominent throughout. And this power of prayer that we have in the church as we have access to the very throne of the universe is something that we should take a lot more seriously. We shouldn't be seeking political traction primarily in um, the halls of power of our society, but rather we should go to the very heart of um, going to God's throne room and seek um, his face. And so I think the confidence that we can have as the people of the king in such a situation is very important and it's something that we will need a lot in the next few years, I believe. Um, I would just add, and then Andrew, you can close us off and take us out. Um, I would only add that, uh, in addition to those, um, prayer is absolutely doing and hopefulness is not quietism. Hopefulness is gl glad yes. activity in the face of injustice and despair. And, um, you know, there will be times to tweet and times to remain silent. There will be times to um, uh, identify and, and with 
our friends and neighbors who are in distress. That's all the time. But I mean, there's, there's going to be times when we have to do that in a very accentuated and very public and, um, a very deliberate way, uh, to offset what goes on. And, um, you know, with everything that I said about hopefulness, I really just want to underscore that it is not quietism. It's an atmosphere that that should energize our work and and give us life within it, uh, because it's a life that we need to sustain the work well over the course, not just of the next four or eight years or however long it is, but over the course of a whole lifetime. So, yeah, okay. I, I, I don't know how to you can't really pull anything like that together without sounding like Jerry Springer and telling people to take care of themselves and each other so I would just leave it there and, uh, and, and thank I mean I just I, that was very helpful for me personally I just enjoy talking to you guys and I hope that for many of you that may have may have helped it may have helped you process some put into words some of the things that you yourself were thinking or feeling and um, if you if you like what you saw, then share it. Then give us a review on iTunes. That always helps. If not, we will see you again very, very soon, I'm sure. And thank you for listening. Thank you.